What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Today, our guest is Mark Willis. Mark is a certified financial advisor. And today, we're talking about some of the details of strategies that you can use with whole life insurance to be your own banker, potentially reduce some of your tax liability, give yourself more growth over time, and just a, a really interesting opportunities for busy professionals, high income professionals to retire with more money in your pocket just by setting up this detailed plan for your investments. This is not just for the real estate investors out there, but this plan definitely lends itself to real estate investing. Mark is a two-time number one best-selling author and the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, his financial firm based in Chicago, Illinois. We recorded this interview in mid-March 2020 as the financial markets are collapsing. We had a bit of an update just before recording this, but my expectation is that things are going to continue to look worse. It's going to get darker before it gets lighter. So we, in the, in the interest of having a long-term plan and a long-term strategy, I'm happy to have this conversation about, again, reducing our tax liability, planning for our, let's be honest, it's a life, it's a whole life policy. We're planning for our death. We're planning to have benefits to pass on to our heirs. So it's a good time to have this type of conversation when things are not looking as good as they once did. There will be light, but first it's going to be dark. This is not a dark episode, but it is a bit of a dark conversation if you're not prepared for it. So once again, our guest is Mark Willis from Lake Growth Financial Services. He also hosts the Not Your Average Financial Podcast, which is a fantastic, fantastic brand, fantastic idea. And he shares his strategies on investing in real estate, paying for college without going broke, and creating an income in retirement that you will not outlive. For those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, a real estate syndicator. I buy multifamily real estate with passive investors. I'm a busy professional just like you. Love talking about investing. I love talking about these strategies that we can use to grow our wealth faster if we did, than if we didn't know them. So here we go. Conversation with Mark Willis from Lake Growth Financial Services. Mark, thank you for joining us today. Taylor, my pleasure. Glad to be on. Happy to be talking with you. For the folks out there who don't know you, can you uh, introduce yourself? Tell us about your background, then we'll you know, get into the topic for today. Sure. I'm a uh, certified financial planner practitioner. I'm also a bank on yourself authorized advisor. More importantly, a uh, family man, uh, got a little girl, beautiful wife. Uh, I own a financial firm here in Chicago, Illinois, uh, and we work with clients who want to grow wealth and become their own source of financing, no matter what's going on in the markets. Nice. So, you know, typical certified financial planner advice is, you know, it's not so much like a bank on yourself, it's invest in mutual funds, all those kinds of things, whatever mutual fund a particular CFP is selling from my experience. And it, it sounds like you have a fairly say uncommon take on these things or you know that's what we hear in this space is uncommon take on things with, which can allow us to increase our return so what does bank on yourself mean to you know the average investor yeah 
It's a concept, most importantly. It's a way to think about how to approach your overall financial life. So I'll start at 30,000 feet, then we'll zoom all the way down to the, to the runway if you want to, Taylor. Uh, the problem that I saw when I was going through my own financial life and lives of our clients as we set up this financial firm uh, was threefold. One, debt was out of proportion, right? We're talking literally a third of our life's, uh, a third of our life's income will go to a bank. A third wow. of our life's income, according to the U.S. Commerce Bureau. And if time is money, that's literally a third of our day gone, a third of our waking hours gone, uh, just servicing and being a slave to a bank. On Ooh. top of that, taxes, right? But I don't, I don't even need to go there. <laughs> Next problem I saw was um, lifestyle. We were all living way beyond our means, uh, the McMansions and so forth. And then finally, speculation. We couldn't save as much because all of our real money was going to the banks, credit cards, finance companies, and then keeping up with the Joneses. So we all couldn't really save as much. So we had to speculate on riskier and riskier assets. Um, it was really interesting. I was doing some research and in 1940, 11 cents on every dollar went to debt for the average American. And in uh, recent years, it's more like 36 cents wow. of our average dollar. Yeah. And in that 1940, we saved 27 cents on the dollar. Now we save about five cents on the dollar and that's for everything. Retirement, kids college, the emergency fund, you know, medical emergency, job loss. I mean, is five cents on the dollar really going to do enough? <laughs> right? So no. my, my problem was I, I found myself in that problem, right? I was in debt up to my eyeballs. Student loans were six figures, $120,000 between my wife and I, mostly me. Um, so uh, we had to find a better way and learning to think like a banker to not just pay off the debt, the Dave Ramsey way, but to literally become our own source of financing, to sit on the banker's side of the desk uh, has allowed us not only to pay off our student loan debts, but actually to become uh, a line of credit for our own investments and build true wealth, no matter what's going on and who's sneezing on whatever side of the world, right? <laughs> right. So, you, you know, just to follow up on that, you, know, you mentioned who's sneezing. We're recording this on Saturday, March 14th of 2020, where, you know, we're, we're kind of, seems to me we're just hitting the inflection point of coronavirus in the United States, you know, things are starting to shut down and is going to be released probably in the May timeframe. So, you know, my expectation is that things will probably continue to deteriorate. I don't think we're, it's going to get better for a little while. So I think when this comes out, it will still be a concern, the, the coronavirus and all those things. But, you know, to go back on, you know, savings rates and how much money that, you know, we spend our time just making money to, to send to banks in terms of interest, you know, it seems like some of that has to do with, you know, the, how low interest rates are, you know, right now and compared to historically, but there's just not a lot of incentive for us to save money and put it into a bank or is that counting what people are saving and investing too? Oh, no. Yeah. That 5% includes your 401k contributions. Wow. It includes any kind of real estate investments you might be making. These are the averages, right? Nobody's an average. Uh, but what this means is our listener, if you're double the average, let's say you have half that much debt and double that amount of savings, that means somebody else is twice as bad, right? Wow. Uh, to make that the average. Yeah. Average American, uh, according to the Federal Reserve, doesn't even have $400 to cover an emergency. You'd have to sell something or go into debt. That's sort of the 
the landscape we find ourselves in. And honestly, my, my prayers and hopes are that when, whenever you're listening to this, that you're in a healthy place, you know, on a health level. Um, you know, my truly, I mean, I'm, I'm tender and, you know, you know, hopeful that all's well for whoever's listening. Uh, but man, if you have $400 going into this crisis, health crisis, financial crisis, I mean, we just saw, Taylor, check this out. Uh, statistically, we had a 10% drop on Thursday in the Dow. And then we had a 10% upswing on Friday. Uh, that, that hasn't happened since October of 1929. Wow. Now, what was going on back then, right? Uh, so with that kind of volatility, I mean, take the virus out of the equation. We are not just in volatile times. We are in turbulent times. And should our money be tied to things that we just simply have no control or, or uh, uh, you know, have no control over? I would say no. There's nothing written in stone that says I have to put my money into things I can't access or control. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when it comes to becoming our own banker, presumably that's, you know, this is a real estate investing show that's for you know, debt to invest in real estate, right? I mean, I can't imagine what else you might use that strategy for. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, real estate is one of the ways we can keep calm and carry on in days like today. Uh, you know, it provides security. It's less volatile than the markets, certainly. Uh, you can live in it if you had to, right? Uh, you can house hack. You know, you can use it as a significant tax shelter. Uh, it has incredible tax benefits. It always has. I mean, it's been a wealth generating tool since the pyramids. So, you know, we're looking at a long term financial asset. And again, yeah, as a CFP, we're generally back to another point you made, Taylor, we're as a, as a group of folks, as CFPs aren't generally just pumping real estate because, you know, you can't get a fee off that, you know, yeah. you can't put that into the, unless it's a REIT, you know, going into a mutual fund or whatever. Um, but I don't think that's, to do. Uh, that's not in the best interest of our clients to just recommend things that we can get paid on. Uh, that's, I think, you know, going against the CFP code, which is to act in our client's best interests. So yeah, um, when, when I started looking at my own financial life and those of our clients, I was looking at it from the perspective of the smallest hinge that could swing the biggest door. Do you know the focusing question or have you ever heard of this uh, by uh, Gary Keller? Uh, the focusing question is, what is the one thing I can do today such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary? Hmm. That's a really cool question because then you got one thing. I, I don't have to have 10,000 things on my to-do list. Uh, and, and in fact, I've got it right here on my whiteboard. When I walk in, it says, until I get my one thing done today, everything else is a distraction. And I started thinking that that's probably a good way to look at our money too. Like if I could put, you know, what's the one thing I can do with my money such that by doing that one thing, everything else in my financial life becomes easier or unnecessary. So let's think about it. Like if you could have your money do be in one place or do one thing, what sort of characteristics would you want your money to have? What would you want it to do for you? And that's kind of where I started my financial life. I started saying, hey, if I could wave a magic wand and create a perfect financial instrument, such that by creating this instrument, everything else in my financial life became easier or unnecessary, um, what would it look like? What kind of attributes, what kind of characteristics would I want it to have, right? I mean, I started creating this sort of list. I'll, I'll give you my list, Taylor, but I'd be curious if you'd add anything here. You know, I wanted easy access to cash for my investments. You know, I didn't want to have to sell something or pay a bunch of penalties to get my money at liquid. 
especially in turbulent times like we're in right now. There's some great opportunities if you've got cash on hand. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be safe. I wanted some sort of predictable guaranteed return. I want some sort of tax advantages, uh, both on the firms of, in terms of deferring taxes today and also getting it out tax-free in the future. Uh, I wanted some sort of uh, like freedom when it came to what I could put into the thing. I didn't want the government telling me I could only put six grand into a Roth IRA, for example. <laughs> you know, what kind of, yeah, I mean, what kind of solution is that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted some sort of way to keep it private. I didn't want uh, it to be exposed to creditors. If someone slipped on a banana peel outside of one of my rental properties, I didn't want them to sue me and take this asset from me. So I wanted to create this sort of perfect financial instrument in my mind anyway, before I started putting labels on it, right? Um, so that's my little list. But Taylor, I'm curious, anything you'd add to that list? Anything I didn't mention? Interesting. I'm not, I'm not certain, you know, what exactly I would add. I mean, to me, you know, big priority, especially for a lot of high paid professionals is uh, strategies that will allow us to, to minimize our tax bill. I don't remember if if you mentioned mm-hmm. that, but at least reduce the marginal rate that we pay uh, because right. you know, high paid pro- professionals pay the highest taxes of basically anybody compared to people who live off of their investments and invest prudently. So yeah, ways we can optimize our tax bill. It is uh, your, your comment about only being able to put six grand a year into a Roth IRA or, or any kind of IRA definitely rings true uh, for me as I, you know, do max out those uh, tax advantaged accounts. And it's, you know, for a lot of people out there, it's, that's just not enough of a, of a tax advantage to, to really mitigate some of the taxation issues. So I think you brought up some very good points. So, you know, presumably your strategy has addressed those issues for you. Yeah. Yeah. And Unfortunately, of course, for a lot of your listeners, I'm sure Roth IRAs aren't even on the table anymore due to their income phase yeah. outs. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, we looked at the, the, um, the landscape. I looked at 450 financial vehicles, products as I was going through my CFP training. And yeah, uh, of all things, Taylor, a, an old-fashioned dividend-paying whole life policy fits all those categories. Even as I looked at it, I was sort of dumbfounded thinking, Hey, you know, Dave Ramsey would never want me to do this. Right. (laughs) It's a good sign. If you're listening, if you're listening, Dave, yeah. Um, this is not the kind of whole life that, you know, um, the white coat investors talking about, or Dave Ramsey's talking about, you know, this is a modernized form of whole life insurance that does some things really well. And in my opinion, there's no better coupling asset to the real estate portfolio than whole life insurance. And I'd love to talk about that some, share even how I've used it for our private placements that I've personally done, uh, and specifically how it works and what it isn't um, for your listeners today. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a topic I would say that I'm, I'm not super savvy on. I mean, I've heard it before and I, I, f- I feel like I still don't fully understand the, the strategy here and, and how it works. It is, it is complex. I know that it works, but it is definitely worth putting the work into to understand. So yeah. absolutely lay it out for us. It's real simple, you know, somewhat like our smartphones, they're very complex in how they were engineered. Uh, and somebody took a lot of care in their design of this thing. But all I know is I can swipe up and it, it works, right? <laughs> Yep. So if it was engineered correctly, we shouldn't have to know 
all the right vocabulary. I'll get into some of this next, in a next little bit here, but it's very simple. It's a place to park your money in between your deals. And it's a better place, in my opinion, than any other cash equivalent in our portfolio. So let's talk about it. Why whole life insurance of all places, right? We could be talking about anything, uh, but does it do what we want our money to do for us? So here's what whole life has done. Uh, it's increased in value guaranteed for 160 years. The returns are better than other places we could keep cash, better than money markets, better than CDs, certainly uh, these days. Uh, the cash is easy to access for our investments. You can usually get the money out in about four or five business days with no access penalties, whatever. Uh, you'll obviously, since it is life insurance, you're guaranteed to leave your money more uh, to your family more than you could save for them. And most importantly, and for this discussion, it allows us to become our own source of financing. So we're no longer beholden to banks. Uh, I don't know what's going on with the banking industry when you're listening to this, but you know, <laughs> what's that old quote by Mark Twain? A banker is a fellow who will lend you his umbrella when the sun is shining, but wants it back as soon as it starts to rain. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. This Mark is a guaranteed Twain was, line of credit. He was a genius. So, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned it's, it's grown, it grows faster than CDs and such. So what's the rate that it grows at? Yeah, over time, and that's the key word, the policies that I've seen designed well are anywhere from between four and six, six and a half percent. And that's an after-tax return, meaning that's after fees, expenses, taxes, included everything. Okay, so what is uh, producing that return? Is it, I don't know, is it invested in something, a basket of stocks, an investment real estate? Like what's the, the actual thing producing that return? So it's less of an uh, investment and it's more of a business model. Think okay. of it almost like the profit margin of the company you're a partner in. Uh, so if it's a mutually owned life insurance company, there's another vocabulary word, uh, it's owned by you and me. There's no other um, stockholders, shareholders taking profits out of this business. It's almost like we're partners. If you know like how lawyers are, uh, they buy in as partners, right? Uh, then you get to share in the profits of that, of that law firm. Uh, well, in this case, you're a, you buy in as a policyholder. In essence, you're an owner in that mutual company. And anytime that company has a, has a profitable year, they shell out uh, profits, dividends. But even if the company is not profitable, they would still, on contract law, have to give you an increase in your cash value guaranteed. Uh, so that's where I say the, the policies have grown guaranteed, not my guarantee, but the company's guarantee, for over 160 years, but most of the companies that I would recommend folks check out have, have been paying profits on top of that guarantee, almost like icing on the cake for at least a century. Uh, so returns are not, it's not meant to be your investment portfolio. It's certainly not an investment. Uh, it's, it's supposed to be, again, it's a parking space for your money in between your um, other deals, other investments you might make. Okay. So it's a parking space for your deals and how hard is it to move money in and out of say, you know, like a self-directed IRA, something like that has, it takes a couple of days to get the wires handled and you have to do paperwork and things like that. I mean, how, right. you know, how liquid is it? And are there any requirements about like, if you take it out and put it, put the funds in an investment that you've got to have them back in, in three to five years or, you know, how often right. do you have to re up? Yeah. So the whole life contract will let you use the money, get the money out within about four or five business days. 
And you can get it out in two ways. And this is where things get really interesting. So one way you can get it out is through a traditional, just regular withdrawal, right? So you can just withdraw the money out. You put the money in, you can withdraw cash out. If you have cash value in the policy, this is not term insurance. For those that aren't familiar, there's two kinds of life insurance, right? There's term insurance, which is the kind you rent. It's like renting an apartment. There's no cash in renting an apartment. And then there's um, whole life insurance, which is like owning a house where you do build up cash, you do build up equity. Uh, and that's the cash that you can use for your investments. So back to your question, that cash that you've built up, the equity in the policy is your money. You can withdraw that money or, and this is where things get interesting, you can, Taylor, you can borrow from uh, the insurance company, use your cash value as collateral. So I'll say that again. You, let's say you got 100 grand in, in uh, cash value and you borrow out 80 grand to invest in a private placement. All of a sudden, you've used your policy as collateral. You didn't spend that money. It's still there. And so it's earning money for you. It's still continuing to grow as if you never touched a dime of that money. And you've got your 80 grand out there in the private placement world or the investment space or your rental property or whatever you're using the money for. And there's no required repayment plan for the rest of your life. You could wait six months, six years, 60 years, as long as that policy is still in force. When you pass away, the insurance company is happy to wait for the loan repayment because it's a non-recourse loan and it's self-collateralized, meaning they'll just deduct it from your death benefit. They already know they're getting paid back when you die. They'll reduce your death benefit from a million bucks to whatever your loan balance was and give your family the rest income tax-free. Interesting. Okay. So I'd like to talk about this in terms of like, uh, let's, I, I want to ask for some, some recommendations for, I'll put out, you know, my own features out there for like, what would you advise a client of my, you know, characteristics to, to do. And the reason I ask this is because I, I'm 30, I have no dependents, no children. You know, I've, rental property and my personal residence. Um, but the syndication properties that I own is all, you know, non-recourse debt doesn't have my name on it. The personal residence does, but it's not a big property. There's not an enormous mortgage balance on it. But if I take out a whole life policy at this age, like, do I get, um, I don't know, better terms from the life insurance company or, or what, you know, what's kind of the strategy, the, the, the time value strategy of taking out a, a policy when you're fairly young as opposed to not fairly young, not to put it yeah. on it. I'll, I'll put, I'll give you two answers for your audience. One for you, Taylor, and then one who's for a guy who's, or a gal who's, you know, 50, 60 years young. Uh, so yeah, it's always better. Our parents should have done this for us right when we had our birthday, mm -hmm. you know, our very first birthday. I mean, um, and yeah, time value of money is awesome. This is an ever increasing, uninterrupted compound growth machine. And here's exactly what I mean by that. The stock market is not compound growth. The stock market is not compound growth because volatility breaks compound growth. Every time we lose money, like we did this last week, or we might in the future, that is money we'll never see grow for us ever again we are not in a straight line. Only thing that's true uninterrupted, and that's the key word there, uninterrupted compound growth, 
is a system that never goes down, but only goes up. So whole life insurance by its actuarial design is designed to only do a straight line projection, always going up and in the right direction. Uh, so for a 30 year old or a 60 year old or even an 80 year old, uh, time value of money works in the right direction for you. Actually, I did the math on this. Uh, for someone who's 20 years old, uh, to someone who's 35 years old, to someone who's 60 years old, even a 60-year-old, if you put a dollar into the efficient part of the whole life policy, not the old-fashioned kind that Dave talks about, but if it's using specific writers called a paid-up editions writer, if you put that dollar into the paid-up editions, even if you're 60 years old, you'll triple your money over your life expectancy with current dividend scales. Triple, three, $3.60 for every dollar you put into the paid-up editions. And if you're 30, let me do the math on that. At age 30, to your life expectancy, every dollar with current dividend scales grows to $24.30, every single dollar. And we can't do anything about it, right? It's just gonna do that, no matter what the market does. So you can even use that dollar in and out, in and out of your policy for your rental properties, your syndication deals, marketing expenses, payroll, and that money continues to grow and compound as if you hadn't touched the money. And then when you do have a profit, let's say you sell a real estate deal, put it back into your policy to be spent and, and wait until it's to be spent again, right? Over and over and over again, you just recycle the money in and out of that policy. It's sort of your parking lot, right? We keep using that idea. You know, my, my car isn't meant to live in my, my parking space, my garage. It's meant to get out there and do things in life, but it's always coming back to the garage. And that's where it lives in between its trips. Same with my money. My money goes from my policy to our real estate deals. And then over here to a family vacation. And then over here to pay for my daughter's college someday. But it's always coming back to my garage, my policies. Interesting. Okay. So I, I appreciate that analogy of your, your car that stays parked in your garage. And that's, it's an interesting way to put it. So you, you take out the policy, put uh, funds in there and you can take them out and is there like, what restrictions are there to, as to what you can do with the funds when you take them out to invest them in yeah. anything? Yeah, sure. Yeah, good question. So first, let's talk too about the restrictions of putting money in. We talked about the poor little Roth IRA that can only hold 6,000 a year of contributions. Yeah. You know, we've got folks that are doing 10 times, 60 times that per year into their whole life policies. You know, you can do any amount that you can be approved for by the insurance company can go into a policy, a hundred grand a year, 500 grand a year, a million, you know, it really comes down to what you're wanting to contribute to this uh, financial vehicle. Once it's in there, it's growing on a tax deferred basis and you can get the money out for any reason, any reason with no taxes due under current law. So, and it's been that way for a hundred plus years. So you can use it for any reason, unlike a self-directed 401k or a self-directed IRA. There's, there's self-dealing with life insurance. You can fix up your own kitchen. You can buy a house and then live in it. You can you know, pay off a student loan debt if you have debt. Uh, our doctors, I'm sure, would love to find a better way to pay off that medical debt and just <laughs> you know, <laughs> putting that money down the hole. Uh, so yeah, you can use um, the policy for any purpose, personal, business, investment otherwise, whatever. And then it's, you know, uh, there's no restrictions. There's no you know limit on what you use the money for. Hmm. Okay. 
as far as fees that are typically charged by, you know, the, the life insurance company, I mean, what are, what are typical costs of these policies? You put cash in and that gets a cash value, but you know, get, you're not going to get something for nothing. I mean, what do you have to put in every year? Yeah. Every policy is designed different. You're exactly right. Don't do this for get rich overnight kind of strategies. Yeah. There's an expense to the life insurance. Even a well-designed policy is going to have some sort of expense. Uh, everyone's going to have a different number here. So, you know, I'll just use round numbers, I guess. You know, maybe in the first year, you have uh, 75% of your contribution is available as cash in the first year. So you put in uh, 100 grand in the first year, you might have uh, 75,000 to borrow and to use in the first year. Uh, by the third, fourth year, usually you put that next hundred grand in and it's growing by more than $100,000. That's different than break even, but now the costs of the policy effectively are gone. Here's what I mean by that. If the cash value grew by 110,000 in year three to year four, and I'm putting in the same hundred grand in year four, what was my expense for the $3 million death benefit, let's say? If it grew by more than my contribution and, uh, and I've got a life insurance policy worth 3 million bucks, by year four, I'm actually getting paid to keep that policy in force. Not technically, but in essence, I'm getting paid 110 grand and I gave them 100 grand. And now I've got, you know, I've got more hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash value that I'm hopefully using for investments and syndications and personal needs that I might have, kids' college, whatever it might be. Does that so, answer your question? I think so. Are they, I mean, is there like a, so if I take out, you know, health insurance or whatever, I'm going to have to pay premiums every year. I mean, is there a, understanding, you know, if the policies run right, that effectively the premium is washed out. But in that interim, we have to be probably making, you know, payment, premium payments, things like that. Like, mm-hmm. is there something... What what do those typically look like? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's a good way. It's a great question. So when you put money into a bank account, you call that a deposit, Mm -hmm. right? You put money into a real estate or 401k, we call that an investment. When you put money into life insurance, we call that premium. And the the mainstream uh, mainstream financial wisdom is pay as little premium as possible. Get your pennies into that life insurance, rent it for as cheap as you can and get away with as little as you possibly can and invest the rest in other things. This is really flipping that upside down. My hope personally is to pay as much premium as I possibly can for my policy for as long as I possibly can. And the reason is the design of the policy uh, gives me as much, the more premium I put into the policy, again, that's just the word we use for contribute, uh, contributions to whole life insurance. The more premium I put into my policy, the more cash I have. And so, yeah, like I said, if you put a hundred grand into the policy as premium uh, in the first year, you might have 75,000 bucks, right? That's the most expensive that that policy is ever going to be in the second year, the third year, and then the fourth year, let's say now it's the cash value is growing more than your premium payment. Uh, So what is the cost? Uh, You know, I don't know. I worked it out with a guy earlier today over 48 years. It worked out to about 75 bucks a month. Uh, for his mm. cost of insurance, it was really in the first three or four years that that expense was there. But you live over your entire lifetime, pass away. This guy put in, nine, in, in our example, he put in $950,000 over uh, 16 years. And then he took out 
$1.9 million over his retirement years. So what was the cost, right? He gave mm -hmm. them 950. He pulls out tax-free income at $1.9 million. And get this, he still had half a million dollars left as a death benefit for his wife at age 95. So the cost was the, the delta between his contributions, his premium, and the cash value in those first three or four years, which worked out to over his lifetime, about 75 bucks a month. But that's different than saying that, was his, that wasn't his premium, right? That was just the cost delta in the, in the premium versus his cash value. Uh, for every person, they're going to have different numbers. But the key is, what were we using that money for in the meantime? Hopefully, he kept packing that money into the policy and kept using it. Uh, like, you know, uh, I, I have and, and have intention to do is, over my lifetime to keep using that cash value for passive investments. Um, Taylor, I know we're running, we're running close on time. So I'll keep this very brief, but I have a um, you know private placement. We just pulled some money from one of my policies and invested in some mobile home park investing. My policy continues to grow with interest and dividends as if I had not taken that loan out. And I've got the money uh, generating cash flow for me on the mobile home park investment. As that loan is, uh, as that investment yields uh, profits and distributions, I'll use those distributions to pay back the policy loan and recycle the money back into my policy and then use it all over again for another deal that we come across. So that's kind of the mindset that we take with our clients. Interesting. Okay. So another thing I want to hit before we uh, move on here is, you know, getting started, you mentioned, I mean, like a hundred thousand uh, dollar initial, I guess, uh, premium into the policy. Like you said, I mean, is that typically what it looks like? I know other folks who have you know, taken these out where they're starting with a hundred grand in, is it, you know, is it a hundred? Is there a sliding scale option? If, if folks don't want to start with a hundred, they want to kind of get their feet wet and everything like, yeah. What does that look like? It can be a couple hundred bucks a month, you know, and it's probably as small as I've seen work for folks. Uh, you know, there are no averages in your financial life. You know, you are your own unique person. So maybe it's, you know, uh, 30 grand a year. Maybe it's 3000 a year. Maybe it's 300,000 a year. It all fits if it's in your best interest which is why we re really recommend two things. One, sit down with a bank on yourself authorized advisor. There are too many uh, advisors out there who call it different things. You know, I won't name any names, but this is a very common strategy. And there's a lot of, have you ever seen how uh, your granola bars at the grocery store will say all natural on them? Yeah. But what does that mean, right? There's no, there's no, um, quality check on those words. So bank on yourself authorized advisor is a trademarked phrase and it's a specific training authorization. It's the only one in this industry. Uh, it's sort of the USDA organic of this concept. Wow. Uh, so okay. you want to make sure you're working with someone who's gone through that training. Um, my mentors have taken me through that training and there's about 200 pro professionals that have that designation in the country. Uh, the next thing is you really want to, yeah, you really want to make sure you have a one-on-one -on -one meeting with that person uh, and just let them listen to you and explain your concerns, your goals, your, your financial objectives, because they'll build the policy correctly for you. Uh, take as little commission as they possibly can to design the policy, right? Uh, and then build as much wealth into the policy per your spec, whatever you're trying to accomplish. Nice. Nice. So right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Mark, I got three questions. I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do this. All right. Number one, what is the best investment you ever made other than your education? Okay. 
uh, I hope this counts. All right. Uh, but uh, early on in my business, I lost a really big client. They had already become a client. We had already set up a policy and they got uh, snookered away by another financial professional to get them back in the stock market. And I lost the, the client and it hurt. It hurt big time. Uh, it hurt my pride mostly. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but I learned so many lessons and I hate to say that this might still count as education. I don't know, but uh, it was a financial investment. I lost about 12 grand, let's say. Uh, so I, I made a great investment because I took every last nugget of wisdom out of that experience and uh, have avoided a lot of the pain in the future. Uh, so I hope that counts, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> we'll count it. We'll count it. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment you ever made? I would say, and this will be counterintuitive, I think too, but uh, using cash to pay off my debts was the worst investment I ever made, which sounds weird, I know. Uh, but there's two problems with paying off my debt with cash. One, I lost all the opportunity cost on that money. If I had put that money into a bank on yourself type policy first and then used it to pay off my debt, I'd be, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, wealthier in my retirement years. But I just paid cash. I just threw that money down the hole. Uh, the other problem with paying off that debt and why it's the worst investment was it was super low interest rates. Taylor it was like 2.8% <laughs> back then. So yeah. uh, why was I doing that? I don't know. I just didn't know any better. So worst investment, paying off wow. my debt. Yeah, that is a, a gift of an interest rate. Yeah. Third question, my favorite question at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Uh, again, I'd say find the smallest hinge that swings the biggest door is my most important lesson that I've learned. Uh, you know, you don't have to chase rate of return if you control the entire financial environment where your money lives. You know, I could care less what your mutual funds were or even what your private placement did, but did you control the entire process? Meaning, did you have a line of credit that's guaranteed to you did you have predictable results that you only you have access to and can control? Uh, if you have the smallest hinge that swings the biggest door, you know, if, if you put your money in a place where everything else becomes easier or unnecessary, you win by default. It's awesome. Nice. Nice. Well, Mark, thank you for joining us today. If folks want to learn more about how this whole process works and, you know, really kind of get maybe more some personalized advice, something like that. Where can they get in touch with you? Where can they learn more? Growmorewealth.com is the best website for us to get connected. Uh, either me or one of my colleagues would love to sit down, just chat, maybe answer some questions that came from this episode. Uh, so that's growmorewealth.com. Growmorewealth.com. Well, great. That's an awesome URL. I love that brand. So Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the explanation today. I'm, I'm always interested to learn more about how these advantaged strategies, you know, can work for us and save us money in the long run and help us grow more. So thanks for the uh, lessons today. Rock and roll. Keep up the great work. Thanks to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or interview on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. If you know anyone out there who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great day and a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.